This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. All right, you all. So it was 11 months ago, almost exactly. It was March 15th when it became clear to our leadership team as schools were shutting down and uh, governors across our different states throughout the diocese were calling for different lockdowns that we would need for the first time in the history of resurrection to live stream a service from here. And that was March 15th. And as I met with our different leaders in the diocese and here in the cathedral, it became clear that it would be good for me to depart from our lectionary, our appointed readings that the church gives us, and preach on Psalm 46. And we kind of gave that as leaders to all of us in the diocese and here in the cathedral uh, to just reflect on and trust in God as our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And the Lord has been our refuge. He's been our strength. And we still need his refuge and strength, no question. But I feel 11 months later that it's time for us to receive another scripture verse as well. If that was our scripture for last year, I'd like to give us a scripture for this year. And I'd like us to prepare to move, not ever away from refuge, that would be absurd, but to move from an orientation around refuge during this pandemic to an orientation around readiness. I'd like again to move off of our lectionary. We've been preaching through the appointed readings for the church. We're going to change that up. Although I promise you this text I'm giving you this morning is very epiphany-oriented. It's in the Gospel of Mark as we've been studying the Gospel of Mark. It's a verse that if you know the Bible, you likely know this verse. If you're new to the Bible, this is a verse that you can take in right away. Mark 1, verse 17. Come, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men and women. I'm bringing this to you early while we're still in the midst of the fullness of the pandemic, but as we have hopes of restrictions eventually lifting, as we're perhaps getting to that proverbial light at the end of some tunnel at some point, to say that I want us as a cathedral church, I'm preaching this as well to the entire diocese. This sermon will go out to many of you uh, later through your rectors and leadership to begin to move from that place of refuge as our orientation to that place of readiness to follow the Lord Jesus and to be ready for the Lord to make us become fishers of men and women. I think as this pandemic begins to lift, we're going to find there'll be two kinds of churches and simplistically put, two kinds of believers. There'll be those churches that, understandably, with the dramatic disruptions and divisions and pain that none of us knew was coming, the losses of family and the losses of others to the pandemic, the reactions to the political scene and to the national scene, that they'll be so banged up, churches will be so divided and so bruised, they will not be ready for what I believe the Lord would have us be ready for. Some churches will not make it and have not made it through these last 11 months. Same can be said for believers. But I would like us, as followers of Jesus and as a cathedral community and as churches throughout our diocese, I would like us to be churches that are ready. Ready. Ready to hear Jesus' summons, come follow me. Ready to be made fishers of men and women. 
Disruption is not anything new to the American scene. If you're a reader of American history, you know very well that we have in the history of our country faced massive tumult, literally civil war. Indeed, not even in that far of history in the 1960s, we saw not one but three national figures assassinated with President Kennedy, then Dr. King, then Robert Kennedy running for the presidency. We then saw a president who had been elected in a near landslide have revealed that he had completely corrupted his office and lied again and again to the American people. It was one storm after another, one tumult after another, one division after another. Generations for the first time in our country splitting like they'd never split before. 20-somethings and 30-somethings, not trusting 50-somethings and 60-somethings. People wondering who was thinking this and who was posturing here and who was believing that. And after that disruption, in the midst of the end of that tale of that disruption, what came in the life of the church? What happened? Many of you know. Some of you were saved during this time. What's been called a revival, a Jesus movement, a kind of wave of the Holy Spirit, a renewal that spread through the Roman Catholic Church, it spread through the mainline churches, it spread through our Anglican Church. It was a time where people were getting saved on the streets. People were sharing the gospel and they were saying yes to Jesus. I've had enough of disruption, they were saying. I know that I can't put my trust in horses or princes, as the Bible says. I just want to put my trust in. It was an amazing time, and I love when I find somebody who lived in that time or got saved at that time to hear their testimony. And they're here in this church, and they're here throughout our diocese. Are we not, brothers and sisters, perhaps, on the cusp of the greatest evangelism opportunity of our generation? Might we not be on the very brink of an opportunity to share Jesus and see folks get saved unlike any time that we've ever seen. And could it not be that some seven and a half years ago when the Lord birthed this diocese, this church planting movement, this, this regional church in the upper Midwest, and some seven and a half years ago when he gave us this building and he gave us a mission as a movement to plant a revival of word and sacrament infused by the Holy Spirit, could it not be that he providentially planned that seven and a half years ago to get us ready for the very harvest that is so very likely coming. So I feel now, as followers of Jesus, we also have to be leaders in Jesus. Every Christian, every follower of Jesus to go, wow, I don't feel like getting out in front right now. I don't feel ready. I'm still grieving the loss of family. I'm still constrained by so many protocols of pandemic. I'm, I'm still swirling with our political scene, whatever that might be. I'm not saying don't, don't be there. I'm not saying don't work through that, but I'm saying this to you. We, as followers of Jesus, have the power to get out in front and be ready, particularly as restrictions lift, to take care of people and to share the gospel with people who have just done these hellish year without God. That takes leadership. It takes readiness. It takes in the middle of February when it still is so far off the ability to say, they matter more than me. Those far from God matter deeply to God. And when Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men and women, he was preparing us for moments like this. So Lent is a refuge, and it will be a refuge for us. I'm not saying don't refuge in God. I think one of our churches, the diocese, is going to go back to Psalm 46 for their Lenten theme. Praise the Lord. But I am saying, let's start to move. I think the time is on us now 
I think our future, I think our unity, I think our mission, I think this is, this is, a, this is a critical moment in the life of our church and of our movement. So let's look at Mark 1.17. Let's be ready to follow. Let's be ready to fish. Jesus says to Simon and Andrew, who are casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men and women. When Jesus says those two words, follow me, he reorients an individual's life, but he reorients the reality of nations. He reorients the reality of civilization. He reorients the very reality of the courses through history. Everything is reoriented around Jesus at that point. This is one of the great bold claims of Jesus. It's not just a pragmatic moment where he's gathering people. This is Jesus being utterly clear. I am the center of all that is. I am. Come, follow me. Scholars who studied the um, early first century Jewish rabbinical schools, and there were several. Indeed, the Apostle Paul studied in a rabbinical school to become a rabbi himself. John the Baptizer, we've talked about in, in December as a rabbi. And it was common that in those rabbinical schools, followers would hear of a rabbi's reputation, and they would go to the rabbi and hope for admission, hope that they could be a part of that rabbinical school, but not Jesus. He's not waiting for people to come to him. Do you see that? He's a rabbi, but he's a rabbi unlike any other. Because he knows his Father in heaven has given him this commission, go, seek and save the lost, Luke chapter 19. So he is going out and he is seeking and saving. He's gathering his own rabbinical school. He goes person by person. He still goes person by person. There's no mass marketing here, which isn't to critique mass marketing. It's just not the method Jesus chose. He goes to Peter, Simon. He goes to Andrew, James, John, you. Do you know that he comes to you? He comes to you and says, come, follow me. Oh, we need a reorientation around Jesus. Lent cannot come soon enough, family of God. I mean, some of us, like, we've done 11-month Lent. Yes, it's true. 11-month Lent. But we're 10 days away from Ash Wednesday. And Lent is about return. That's one of the key biblical themes. Reorient around Jesus. There have been many voices over the last year who've been beckoning us to believe different things. And we've had to work through, what what do I believe about this or that or that situation or that person or that movement? We've been constantly besieged by voices saying, believe here, believe here, follow here, follow there. And that's that's part of being a human being and being a follower of Jesus in this time. That's part of discernment. We have to make decisions and be clear. But receive the relief that the main one you got to get right is Jesus' summons. The main belief system they need to be most committed to is the belief system of Jesus of Nazareth, fully God and fully man. Other beliefs can fall into place. Indeed, when Jesus calls, he also says, leave. 
we see Simon and Andrew leaving their nets, verse 18. We see James and John leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants. I'll say something about that in just a moment. But we need to be really clear. When Jesus says, follow me and reorient around me, he also says, reprioritize. Has there been some other belief of the political kind or the social kind that's actually taken over the priority of belief in Jesus for you? I mean, come on, how could we not have gotten our priorities really confused in these last 12 months? Let's be really honest with each other. Might there not be things that we too must leave? Particular passions that might be important passions, but don't rise to the level of come, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men and women. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great mid-20th century theologian, Christian martyr, he said so beautifully when Jesus says, come and follow me, he says, come and die. Die to anything that would not put me primary. Leave your nets. Now, be assured, when he says leave your father, I mean, he didn't say that. They left, and he did call them to do so. Jesus would never contradict the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. He's not doing that. What he's doing is highlighting and applying the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Very likely what they're having to do is leave their place of work. We know that actually the sons of Zebedee related with their mom and their dad. They probably brought their mom and dad into following Jesus. Indeed, the mother shows up. It's not her best moment as a mom, but the mom does show up later in the Gospels um, engaged. So they're not, they're not rejecting their family. They're, they're, they're not stepping away. That would be inconceivable, okay, to a first century Jewish family. But they are prioritizing the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, let's do some work this Lent on where we've had other gods before him. Let's do some work. I want to call us as a whole diocese to a Lent together. We're going to have a simple phrase that goes to all of our diocesan churches, Lent together. I want you to do Lent here, resurrection, where you're focused. I want you to do Lent within your parishes and under your different leaders. But we're going to do it together as a diocese. We're going to come together. And I want to just give us two questions to ask during this Lent. And Lent together can have specific foci within different churches. But two questions I want to give you for this Lent. In the last 12 months, in this time of immense struggle, where have you followed Jesus well? I ask him that. Lord, where have I followed you well? And if you're even asking that question, you're following him. So start with a commendation from the Lord. Where have you done well? In this great test, unlike any test I've ever seen of a Christian. And then second, ask the question, where have I not followed you well? Where do I need, as the sermon preached right before Jesus calls his disciples in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, 15, repent and believe in the gospel. On us Wednesday, ashes will be placed on our forehead in the form of a cross, and the minister will say, repent and believe the gospel. That's how we're going to do Lent together. So begin your repentance by asking that question of the Lord. Where was I sharp? or biting, or engaged in 
hidden sin or indulged myself and used the pandemic or other things as a rationale? Where did I forget that I'm a member of a body of Jesus? Where did I start to be suspicious of my fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus? Suspicious of my leaders? Where did I not do well? Well, he who commends you is he who will forgive you. Oh, he'll, he's ready to forgive you. He'll even help convict you. That's what his Holy Spirit does. It's a beautiful, beautiful package. Commendation, conviction, repentance, forgiveness. Repent and believe the gospel. This will unify us. As a cathedral community, this will unify us as a diocese. This will unify us in ways I cannot imagine any other way of doing so because what happens when we repent and believe in the gospel, what happens when we do Lent together is a solidarity of sinners seeking the only true help forms. We will form a solidarity of sinners seeking the only true help. This is how we maintain unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And we need healing as a movement. We need healing as a church. We're banged up. We're bruised. Our families need healing. We've been through a lot. Okay. We can do that. Because as you come into that healing, and as you come into that communion, follow me. So then our Lord, integrated with, his, with this communion, follow me, a commission. And I will make you become fishers of men and women. So let's be ready to follow. Let's be ready to fish. Ugh, why did I just have that feeling as a preacher? Oh, man, fish. That didn't work very well with them. But what do I do, Stuart says to himself, because I know fish seems weird to them. They're like, fish? I mean, most of us don't even fish. And if I do fish, I use a hook and I use a lure. Ugh. Bait? Ah. I mean... Blood's involved and scales and oh. And so I'm thinking, oh, Stuart, don't, don't say fish. But, then I, but I have to say fish because the Bible says fish. What do I do? I'm, I'm in a preaching conundrum. Help me. What do we do? I say fish and you don't like it. But I have to say it because Jesus said it. All right, so let's work our way through this, okay? Okay, first of all, it's actually very helpful. We, and we, we don't need to, you don't have to have a PhD to figure this out, by the way. This is awesome. Um, they fish with nets. That's the context right there, which is to say what? There actually is a thing that is a little creepy about thinking about hooks. Not that those of you who fish with hooks are creepy. You're not. We bless you and go fish soon. Go ice fish today. Um, but there is a way, right, in which that whole kind of form of fishing within evangelical, if you've grown up evangelical or part of evangelical circles, and I don't assume all of you are, but we have a whole phrase actually around how not to do evangelism. It's called bait and switch. It's called put bait out there and try to get a fish and, you know, Switch, pull them. Um, and so we thought, don't bait and switch, which is understandable. We shouldn't bait and switch. But what we have here is actually not that metaphor. It's nets. It's something you have to do together. You have to do it with other people. And you're actually in a community, and you're, you're putting out a massive net, a very, very large net, into water, not knowing for sure where the school of fish are, but hoping that there may be fish there that can then be brought in to the boat. See boat, see church, see believers together, loving those who are outside of the church, throwing a wide open net. There's no hook. There's no blood. 
except his blood that calls us to reach others with the promise of the cross of Jesus Christ. I love um, Adrian von Speer, a theologian mid-20th century. She writes this about Mark 1. It's beautiful. She connects evangelism with hope. She says, the fisherman works with a definite hope, not an overwhelming bursting hope, but a hope that moves in the framework of small daily possibilities. I have never thought till I read her of evangelism as an exercise in hope. But isn't that so true? And when I'm engaged in evangelism in my life, I'm, I'm praying for certain unbelievers, I'm reaching out with them, I'm making connections with them, maybe I'm having a Bible study with them or inviting them to church, or whatever it might be. I have more hope in my life. I, I have more hope in the power of the gospel that as I actually share the gospel with somebody else, it makes me believe the gospel more. And I have hope that the gospel has power and the gospel has conviction and the gospel is bigger than me. Indeed, evangelism is a profound exercise in hope. And we are those within this church and within this country who have never needed an infusion of hope more than this time. And here it is right before us. Could it be that God's call to readiness is also a ministry to us? Could it be? Oh, of course it is. You're called to communion, follow me, but you're called to be commissioned as well. And they both are deeply intertwined. That's how good our Lord is. And so we engage evangelism. And I'm calling us to a season of readying for evangelism as an exercise in hope and belief in God. Now, when you engage in evangelism, it doesn't always feel hopeful. So we just had a gathering of a handful of leaders, and we did what's called our outreach temperature. It's an exercise we've had around res for a while. And your outreach temperature, you simply say, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being you're barely breathing with evangelism, and 10 being you're absolutely on fire, all right? Where are you on a scale of 1 to 10? And we went around in a circle. Well, it was a Zoom circle. I guess it was a square. Um, and what? Three. Just hoping the next guy wasn't a six. And they weren't. We were all threes. I think one of us, you know, was in delusion. We were four. I mean, it was pathetic. We're like, we're just pathetic. I mean, like, we're, who are we sharing the gospel with? You know, and the pandemic is a big part of that. And that's, that's for real. And we just begin to realize, okay, well, what do we do with this? Well, let's begin with prayer. So it's okay, let's just start praying. And we've given you all this exercise, and you will see much more of this in the spring and the summer as we ready ourselves to be fishers of men and women. Let's start with a very easy list, Frank. Let's just list out who Frank is in our lives. That would be our friends, our relatives, our acquaintances, our neighbors, our coworkers. And so I listed out eight people, and I put them in my journal, and I prayed for them every day since we had that time. Three of those eight I've connected with by text in a matter of four days, just because I prayed for four days in a row. One of them, who I haven't heard from for months, said, can we get a walk outside together once the weather breaks? I started praying for Frank, eight different people. See, it's the small daily possibilities that make up the work of evangelism. Just small, just daily. Last week, Catherine and I, um, one of our kids, we were in a coffee shop together, and um, we were bubbled, and it was a socially distanced there, being careful. And our servant came up to us, and 
she uh, gave us a little menu that has a little barcode on it so we could look at our phones and figure out what we wanted to order. And as she did that, she put her arm out, and I could see on her, her arm that she had a tattoo. And I'm intrigued by people's tattoos. I mean, obviously, it means a lot if you put something like that on your skin. And so I said, what does what your tattoo say? I can't quite see it. And she said, light in the darkness. I said, oh, why did you, why did you choose to have light in the darkness on your forearm? She said, I went through a really hard time in college a couple years ago, and I just knew that there would be a light in the darkness. Okay, so she went and took our order and was bringing our coffee back, and I was just praying, Lord, how can I, small possibility here. She came back, and I just said, oh, thank you so much. And, you know, the three of us here, we're just utterly convicted that, that there is a light in the darkness, and it's a person. His name is Jesus. At that point, you might go, oh, did you really do that? I mean, did you feel embarrassed doing that, or does it feel kind of like, you know, it's Jesus? I did a little bit. I did a little bit. But it's true, right? It's true. But he is the light of the world. He is our light in the darkness, so I'm just saying something true. So I said truth. She said, oh, okay. She came back again, and I said, you know, it just would be helpful for you to get to know Jesus. Let me recommend a a beautiful series of little films called The Chosen that will help introduce you to Jesus more. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. She goes, I will do that tonight. I need that right now. Exercise and hope. Just small daily possibilities. Let's be ready. I want us to be a cathedral community that's ready. I want us to be diocesan churches that are ready. Let's be ready. Let's be out there with the power of Jesus within us, the power of the Holy Spirit to take care of lost people and least people who haven't had even all the suffering that we have had this year, haven't had what we've had, which is God. Let's prepare for what could be the greatest harvest opportunity of our generation. Finally, last March, we had a clergy retreat right before uh, the pandemic hit, and we were together, and we teach on the clergy retreats and spend time together, but our whole agenda got shifted because the Holy Spirit fell on nearly 85 of us in the clergy retreat, our clergy and spouses. And he fell on such power that we realized he wanted to say something to us. It became clear he was calling us into evangelism. This was a year ago. It became clear that was a diocesan call, and we discerned that as a clergy. And as we've gone through this year, I've several times said, what's ahead of us is a call to become conversion communities, to be out on evangelism, to do so as a growing multi-ethnic family, to reach Chicagoland and to reach the upper Midwest. We need multi-ethnic witness, the beauty of a multi-ethnic family. So let's be ready for that. Father in heaven, we pray that we will be ready. We thank you for our collect, even today, our prayer. Almighty God, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you revealed the way of eternal life to every race and nation. Pour out this gift anew, that by the preaching of the gospel, your salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.